Let us pray. Startle us, O God, with your truth. Open our hearts and our minds once again to the movement of your spirit. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. With those words that have been set to music and to art many times over, the Apostle Paul begins the last section of his words on resurrection. They are mysterious words. They are not easy to understand. Maria LaSala is a faculty member at the Yale Divinity School. She came up with an unusually accessible interpretation of Paul's mysterious words. LaSala says that when she became a mother, a friend sent her a card with this Bible verse written on it. In that case, it was the old King James Version, which is a little bit different. Behold, it says, I shew you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. LaSala makes a joke about how true the card was. When a new child comes, everything changes and nobody sleeps. Then she notes the deeper meaning found in the verse. When a new child comes, parents feel a range of emotions that include wonder at the miracle of life, incredible frustration and fatigue, and even unreasonable fear, squinting into that crib at 2 o'clock in the morning, wondering if the child has stopped breathing. Lasala points out that new parenthood is one of the things that reminds us of the fragility of life. It's something we often forget, the very thin line between mortal life and eternal life that is often crossed suddenly and unexpectedly. Of course, parents are not the only ones who know this. There are all kinds of instances that show us the fragility of life. And as children grow older, parents can actually have the opposite effect in their life, The relentless cycle of soccer and homework and ballet can actually obscure the things that are the most important. But I think Maria LaSala makes her point. In order to live well in this life, we need the urgency of remembering that we will not live forever. And you might say that people who know this well who appreciate the fragility of life, the nearness of death, people who therefore seem to really know what is most important. These people are what you might call resurrection people. Some of us get stuck in our thinking about the resurrection because it seems to be an abstract doctrine grounded in an unreasonable story. 
According to that unreasonable story, a man named Jesus, who had been crucified, suddenly awoke as if from a nap. He neatly folded up his burial shroud and left it on the bench. He muscled the stone from the entrance of the tomb and resumed bodily life on earth. It was so real, you could have caught the whole thing on your iPhone. And if you question any part of that story, don't go calling yourself a Christian. For some, and there are sophisticated theologians among them, that is the way to tell the story. But to be sure, our tradition has never been that simple, and beliefs about resurrection have never been that simple. If we have questions and doubts about the resurrection, either the resurrection of Jesus or our own, we are in good company. Some of you are familiar with the Jesus Seminar scholars, the late Marcus Borg or John Dominic Crossan. They have both visited this congregation to teach. These modern scholars have proposed highly skeptical interpretations of the resurrection, and they are still Christians. They are part of a long history, a long tradition of skeptics in the faith. The German historian Samuel Reimarus famously posited that the disciples of Jesus invented the resurrection. They invented it because they were making a better living preaching than they had made when they were fishing. Theologian Rudolf Bultmann in the 20th century, more generous to Christians than Reimarus, agreed that Jesus' real resurrection is not a historical event, but is something that is ongoing. The real resurrection, he said, is found in the teaching and preaching about Jesus that continues to transform lives today. These are just two participants in a long tradition of theologians who insist about many different traditions in the Christian faith that doubt is an essential part of faith. John Calvin, the father of Presbyterian theology, adopted that view. He wrote at length about the role of doubt in faith. So did the churchgoers who received Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. They were receiving Paul's letter because it was a topic of discussion. And so did many of the Jewish contemporaries of Jesus value doubt. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, who he is often talking to, they argued about the nature of eternal life. Doubt has always been a part of faith. And folks who claim to have no doubts about resurrection are either lying or they haven't thought about it very hard. From the women at the empty tomb in the Gospels to the most skeptical rationalist theologians in the 19th century, there is a wide berth of belief in Christianity about what has been called resurrection. People have always struggled with the idea because, to our experience, it is so very strange. Even the accounts of it in the Bible vary widely from one account to the next. The Apostle Paul took resurrection seriously and said that we should too. 
And taking it seriously, he begins today's passage by naming resurrection as what? A mystery. Behold, I will tell you a mystery. The biblical authors say a lot of different things, but they all seem to agree that the resurrection was a few different things. It was hard to describe. It was unsettling to those who witnessed it. It was deeply mysterious. They all agree on that. And Paul goes on to argue for what resurrection means in this life. He argues that because of resurrection, our labor in the Lord is not in vain, which is to say that taking the resurrection seriously is not just about the afterlife. It's about the way that we live in this life. And that's why he's talking about it. So all of that being said, all of that different background from Christian tradition, from biblical theology, from the stories that are a part of our faith that show this great breadth of belief about resurrection, I would suggest this. One can be very unsure about the details of resurrection without diminishing its importance. Another way of saying this is that we can separate claims about what happened in the resurrection from convictions about what it means. People who are willing to think hard about the meaning of resurrection are people who believe in things like new life, second chances, redemption. And regardless of what you think happened three days after Jesus' death, the world needs folks who act like resurrection people. Your session spent some time this weekend talking about being resurrection people. We've been studying the work of church communities that went through steep declines, but then tried new experiments in faith and are thriving again. We studied a college ministry that dwindled to zero members a decade ago, but took some risks and now has 800 students involved. We studied a neighborhood church so disconnected from its neighbors that parents were afraid to bring their children inside. So the church started going outside of the walls to do all of their ministry. And they are once more a part of the community. These are places that experienced death and have found new life. Faced with the possibility that God might be done with them, these people took resurrection seriously. They took seriously Paul's words that their labor in the Lord is not in vain. I asked our session to study these things because while life here at Knox seems to be thriving, our elders are being ordained into a larger church culture that is shrinking dramatically and changing quickly. And yet there are signs all around us that God is at work in the world. And so church people have to be 
resurrection people. Where churches are dying and communities are changing, Christians must believe in a new life that may look different than the one they had before. And they must believe that their labor in the Lord is not in vain, that new life is always possible. Resurrection people are people who can see the possibility of new life. Also, resurrection people are people who refuse to believe that death has the last word. Paul writes that because of resurrection, we can say with confidence, O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? In this life, the stings of death are all around us. Some signs of death are so routine we forget we are actually dealing with death. The dehumanizing effects of economic equality, racism, domestic abuse, drug addiction. These things steal life from us. They are sources of death, even though they appear in the midst of life. In other places, we find life-denying death in much clearer forms. Some people struggle through an entire lifetime in a refugee camp or as a victim of human trafficking. Some die as unrescued and uncelebrated prisoners of war. And others die wrongly accused in domestic prisons. These are the ways of death found right in the midst of life. And in the midst of sufferings like these and many others, it is fair to ask, is God really in charge of the world? The hope that something else is coming some great redemption that will one day restore the oppressed and give meaning to their struggle. That is resurrection thinking. The hope that reminds the rest of us that the lives of suffering people are worth something to God and should be worth something to us. The hope that we can help them if we care. That hope, too, is a way of being resurrection people. Here's another example that might resonate with you. Our weekly prayer list there in your bulletin, it is full of names every week. Many of them close friends and members of our families who are struggling from cancer, accidents, dementia. One of the marks of this faithful community is that we give you that prayer list even though we know we are not going to pray all of those things away. In our community, there will be suffering and there will be death. Some people on that prayer list will not get better. We keep praying because we are resurrection people. We refuse to believe that death has the last word. 
When people are suffering, we surround them with love. Not because our prayers are so holy we are going to fix them ourselves, but because we believe that even in the face of death and the worst of suffering, God has not forgotten them. Some folks prefer only to talk about prayer when it has its most desired effects. But faith is more complicated than that because life is more complicated than that. We pray, holding the lives of our loved ones before God and not knowing the outcome because we believe that God has the last word. And that is the faith of resurrection people. New members will join us today. They will become part of our witness in the world that death does not have the last word. They will become part of our witness that hopes in second chances, redemptions, new beginnings. They will bring their own diversity of thought and opinion when it comes to things like resurrection, some of us believing differently than others. When it comes to being resurrection people, whatever you believe, my challenge to you is simply this. Keep trying to believe a little more today than you did yesterday. None of us will know for sure what happened long ago. But we should care about what this word resurrection means in our lives and in the lives of other people. Do you really believe in second chances, in new beginnings, that death does not have the last word? The world needs such people. God needs such people. And may God inspire us all to greater faith.